Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. So, like, we kick off the ramp, and Tim's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to start right here. Like, there could be fish right here. And in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, this is nerve-wracking. Like, everybody goes silent, and they're just watching every cast. And I remember uh, one of the camera guys from Buddies with Paul Bork that night, he's like, good job today, man. He's like, uh, as soon as I saw you make your first cast, I knew we were going to be okay. You can cast. I'm like, you doubted me? You jerk. Like I was I was like hurt. I was like, do you think I was gonna roll up here and like not be able to do this? That was Joe Sermelli with some behind the scenes of the making of DOS Boat, host of Meat Eaters Bent Podcast and a brand new podcast upcoming. We're gonna hear about it all today on the swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. If you are new to the show, the best chance for you to get updated when we get the next episode going live is to just click that follow button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, a little plus button right there. Follow that and you will get updated when we drop our next episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Meal Bars. Each range bar packs 700 calories and easily fits into your pocket, backpack, or vest. Range only uses the highest quality ingredients and they are the most convenient and compact way to get out the door and on the river. You can support this podcast and range right now by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash range, R-A-N-G-E, a legitimate meal in your pocket. We're also sponsored by Drifthook, who has pre-packaged fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy-to-follow guides. From your nymphing to dry fly fishing, they take the guesswork out of fly selection so you can enjoy your time on the water. Check out Drifthook right now by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash drifthook. And on that website, use the promo code SWING at checkout to get 15% off. Your first order. Joe Cermelli shares his story of creating a life around fly fishing and fly fishing media. We find out how he got started in this field, how he became the youngest editor of Field and Stream magazine back in the time when they were pretty much leading the way. And we hear a bunch of funny stories about some of his time with the Meat Eater uh, program. And uh, he was on the Bent podcast. He was the host for that for a couple years. And uh, so some good stuff there. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of fluff here, so let's jump into this right now with Joe, and uh, and let's hear what he has to say. So without further ado, here we go. Joe Cermelli. How's it going, Joe? It is going great, Dave. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on here. We've got uh, quite a bit to talk about. Um, you've got some uh, podcasting has been in your life for a while now. Um, you've done a lot with Field and Stream. You were an editor there. You've got a number of different. You've written some books. You've done a lot of things in the fishing industry. So we're going to dig into a lot of that and talk about maybe um, a few things that maybe help some people get into podcasting. That might be a little bonus tip today. But before we get there and before we get into the Meat Eater, the Bent podcast and everything you did there, just bring us back to fly fishing. How did you first get into fly fishing? Then we'll take it to everything else. Sure. Well, I mean, so I, I grew up in a, a very fishy family. Both sides of the family were, were uh, huge promoters uh, of me fishing at a young age. And I think there, there were really no fly fishermen in my family. My dad and grandfather, they didn't care about that. But I, I was so into fishing that it was just sort of a natural progression. At some point, I was like, well, what's I'm reading about this in magazines and seeing this. Uh, you know, how does that work? And I think it was 
That was my big birthday present when I turned 10. A nice yellow eagle claw with a uh, old Cortland reel mm-hmm. and a couple of bitch creeks and <laughs> the, uh, you know, Kmart special fly pack. Yeah. And uh, just went from there. There it is. And how old were you when that happened? 10. 10th birthday. Yeah. 10th birthday. Okay. I'm trying, always trying to pitch because the Cortland was one of my first reels too. I'm, a, I think a little bit older than you, but it was the, was it the loud click without a drag Cortland reel or did it have a drag on it? Oh it, yeah, no, no, there was absolutely, absolutely no drag. And I, I think back on that birthday gift fondly because again, like my dad was not a fly fisherman. He wasn't versed in any of this. So he just kind of like bought what he saw on the shelves. And I remember, um, Like he didn't even know anything about tapered leaders. He just got me like a tiny spool of mono. And he's like, yeah, you put that on the end. I think you do that. (laughs) And he got me. Do you remember? uh, I don't don't know if they still make them. But back in the day, they made what I can only describe as a hook shank. But there's no bend. It's just like a little spear with two barbs. And you were just supposed to sort of like drill that into the very end of your fly line to put a little metal eye on the end. Yeah, I remember that. And you would tie your tippet right to that. And I'm like, oh, man, this is so neat and so smart. And now I'm like. Who the hell use? Why would you? Yeah, that would rip right out. How did that ever work? How did yeah, those ever work? That's but, right. Yeah, he just got me all that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I love how the the evolution. You know, we're if you look back when you started and when I started compared to now. I mean, it's like the nail knot used to be a great tool I used to use all the time, but now it's like, well, loop to loop is a little bit easier, right? So it's yeah, we've come along. We've come a long but, ways. <laughs> but I think you still need to know one. Not enough people know the nail knot because sometimes you're in a jam. You got you still got to know it. You know. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess you can't really, yeah, with a fly line, you can't necessarily make your own loop with a fly line if you're in the field sort of thing. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, so this is good. I mean, we've got a lot of places we can go here. We can dig into field and stream. I want to start because the big topic for me, you know, I think is um, at least one of them in your in your history is uh, the meat eater, which is, you know, become a pretty huge podcast. I mean, they do a bunch of different things. You've done a couple uh, episodes on the uh, DOS boat with guests we've had on this show. And uh, and so I think there's a lot of interest there. But talk about that. How do you go from that 10-year-old kid with the Cortland fly reel into the Meat Eater, uh, the Bent podcast? Sure. Well, I mean, that's that's certainly a bit of a long story. But, um, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to come right out of college. I graduated in 2005, right into a full-time position with Saltwater Sportsman Magazine. So somehow, someway, for almost 20 years now, I have managed to pay all of my bills with fishing media, which is uh, not wow. super easy to do anymore. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was with Field and Stream after Saltwater Sportsman for over a decade. I was the youngest fishing editor in the history of that magazine, which uh, I'm, I'm still extremely proud of running with, you know, names like John Merwin and A.J. McLean. I, I still can't believe that I did that. Um, so I started my career really print focused. That was that was my love coming out of college. And, um, you know, at that time, magazines were still sort of king. All this crazy digital (laughs) social, it just wasn't a thing yet. Um, So, you know, while I was at Field and Stream, um, I I really wanted to evolve with media. And and a lot of people didn't do that. They sort of stuck to their print guns. So I came up with uh, the Hookshots video series that I shot, Mm -hmm. hosted, edited for 11 years. And there was a podcast for two years with that that was my first podcast that i recorded and edited and everything (laughs) myself and um you know it was actually my my boss at field and stream anthony lakata he was a a a huge fan of what i was doing he he kind of saw the direction media was going and was was i think happy that there was 
you know, somebody within the organization who was was on that track because it, that w- kind of media was not the focus of a field and stream at the time. Right. It was still yeah. it was still print. Well, he ended up leaving and going to uh, Meat Eater. And uh wasn't long after that. He gave me that call like, hey, you, you should come over to Meat Eater. And um, I was I was interested in that because. While I always love print, I, I'm, I'm a writer first. No matter what I do, like I, I'm a writer first. That is my first love. Um, you know, I knew that Meat Eater, they, they put that focus first and foremost on personality-driven media. Like that's what they, they did better than anything and, and put the most uh, uh, love and attention into. So, um, yeah, I, I, I jumped on that. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, it was an incredible two years. The The amount that I learned there working with, you know, really professional people in the podcast and, uh, you know, video scene was, uh, was, was tremendous, but, you know, and I, I have nothing but love for those guys. It was, it was a great two years, but, you know, a- after, after all that time, it's just really didn't become as fishing focused as, I yeah. think it was supposed to. I mean, they're a hunting organization. That's what they do well. That's 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 their people. So in the end, it, it wasn't quite the right home for me. But I I wouldn't change anything for the world. I mean, it was it was incredible to work for them, even if only for a few years. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. No, I think I think I remember when I saw it first, the Bent podcast, and um, I think let's see, we launched this back in 2017. And it, when, when did the Bent? When did that launch? Bent would have been well. I know it was it was August of 2020. I know because I also started that gig, went out to Montana for a week of onboarding to hang out with them, and literally, uh, I flew home on a Friday, and Monday was COVID lockdown. Oh, so wow. like that was like, oh, you started a new job, and now this. So it was uh, it was a trying first few yeah. months there because of that. So yeah, August 2020. August 2020. Yeah. So. You know, a few years after we launched this, and, and I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, nice, this is great. Because Meat Eater, yeah, they've always been kind of uh, basically killing it in the the hunting space. But I figured, you yeah. know, if you get somebody like the Meat Eater to come in with the fishing, that's going to be good. And and it was good. I mean, I you know, the episodes you guys had were interesting because it wasn't like necessarily a tips and tricks. How would you describe, you know, for those that haven't listened to the Bent podcast, how would you describe it? I would describe the Bent podcast as sort of like a 90s radio show and of course i have to give um full credit to so there were there were there were two co-hosts it started with miles nolte who's mm-hmm. uh he's big he's a big shot in the fly scene very good friend of mine and and just an incredible incredible writer and um we started bent and it was very fast and very segmented so it, it might run an hour long but you're not going to hear any one segment for more than, say, 10 minutes. A lot, a lot of times it was shorter than that. And it was very comedy driven. Um, you know, it, it was it was a great platform because it allowed us to sort of oh, this segment's not working. Get rid of that. Put something else in. And uh, we tried to keep it light and we tried to keep it fast. Um, at the same time, I will fully admit and, and you'll understand because you, you have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lift. I mean, the only way to to keep pace with something like Bent is to have two writers right. that are working like well-oiled machines. Yeah. So I, I am extremely proud of Bent. I don't think there will ever be another fishing podcast quite like Bent, um, but eh, it, was a, it was a monster 
of a lift yeah. to do that to the point where I can't believe we even did it as long as we did. Um, cause you know, people, people just don't consider the back end. Yeah. You know I mean? They, they, they just, and, and that's, and they shouldn't, they, they, they get the content and listen to it. But, um, man, the behind the scenes on getting that show out the door week over week, Ooh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was something. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of that is obviously it, it was pretty highly produced. So you had a lot of editing there. What, what was the other big things that kept? I mean, because most podcasts, for those that don't know, you know, you, you could spend four hours and, you know, to every hour you spend ed- uh, doing this. Po- like we'll do an hour here. It might take uh, my editor four hours and we don't even do much editing. We're just cleaning it up. But what was the what was the right. heavy lift with the Bent podcast? Well, the heavy lift, it, it had a lot to do with. um coordination i mean that so that's that's one thing because we certainly wanted other voices in there so you know to give you an example um we had a segment in there called smooth moves that we we loved and the whole point of smooth moves was we would call up a charter captain or guide and say give us the craziest story you have of like clients doing idiotic things like give me (laughs) a story that stands out in your mind of just something ridiculous a client has done but then you have to consider you've got one host on the East Coast. That's me. Then you had Miles, who was in Montana. So now there's a time difference. Now you're trying to talk to guides that are busy right. in season. It's hard to track them down. Yeah. Then you finally now. So now you have to coordinate a time for all three of us to get on a call together. Then the software has to work. They have to actually be able to get on the call. And then every once in a while, you think you're going to get this whopper of a story because we didn't want to hear the whole story ahead of time because no. we wanted to be able to naturally react as we heard it. Exactly. Well, sometimes they sucked <laughs> and it's like, oh man, after all that. I know. And then, you know, we had uh, uh, heavily uh, written segments, more like essays. We did one called End of the Line where we would close a show giving sort of a deep dive into a lure or fly. It could be personal to us. Um, and then you'd, you'd have to put all these, you were constantly recording. There was no break. Like you were constantly throwing segments into the folder. And then at go time, Miles and I would take turns writing each week's outline. And you'd have to go in and be like, okay, uh, this end of the line goes with this theme. We'll pull this smooth move over here. Um, we had a, a, you know, a news element. And as, as you understand, news alone is a heavy lift because yeah. y- you can't stack that. Right. You if you're going to do news, it's got to be timely. So you can't record a podcast three weeks ago about something fishy in the news because by the time anybody hears it, it's not relevant anymore. Right. So um, it was just, you know, a monster in terms of coordination. Yeah, no, that is amazing. It's uh, I'm glad you went into that because, yeah, what we're doing here, what people are hearing is still takes a ton of work. But the nice thing is, is that it's evergreen content. Somebody could listen to this three years from now and still just get the same right value out of it for the most part. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's what I'm doing with my new show. I mean, the, the Hookshots podcast had had uh, a lot of loyal fans. And at the time, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just, you know, I was it was much more long form talking more more like we're doing now. And uh, I really w- embraced the idea of bent because it was so different. I was I was fully on board. I just come off of two years of editing my own podcast. I'm like, this is cool. This is different. But um, you know, I, I think with my new show that that's that's uh, launching October 2022, I'm trying to marry the two. So I I I am just any any of my people who are listening to this. I can't go full on bent alone. Like that's it's just such a, a heavy lift. I can't do that. But uh, I'm keeping some of those segments 
and peppering them in with more conversations like we're having. So I think mm. I think it's the happy medium for the people that really liked the long form because a lot of people, old fans, did not like Bent. They're like it's too scripted, it's too fast, just mm-hmm. talk, you know. So I'm I'm trying to marry both. But um, for anybody who's thinking about a podcast, just just keep in mind that you do have to consider the back end lift if you're going to keep pace. Like that is yeah. an important thing, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's content, and we're doing. We're doing at least two episodes a week now, so it's uh, definitely a, a decent amount. So what is the uh, hook shot? So the hook shots, talk about that a little bit. How did that um, How did that end, and did you think about keeping that going, or was it you kind of had to go into the you know stop one to start the Bent podcast? Well, I'll be completely transparent about that. I would have loved to have kept that going. I mean, I put 11 years into the hook shots brand, um, but you know, the fact of the matter is when you are a full-time employee, for a media company, they are right. you. You you get the the medical benefits. You are a salaried employee. You own nothing that you make. So I mean, I get that all the time. Uh, what you you bringing hook shots back? Is this going to be bent two point <laughs> uh, No, because I don't own any of that content or any of those names. Field and Stream owns the name hook shots. Oh, right. Meat Eater owns the name bent. Yeah. So um, you know now I'm completely independent. I've started my own little company here. My new podcast is, is going to be called Cut and Retie. And, um, you know, after all these years, I now own it and control it completely and can do what I want when I want. There's nobody to ask except myself. So, um, yeah, I would have loved to to keep building off of hook shots. Um, but I didn't own it, you know, so that's yeah, yeah. that is something, you know, anybody who's thinking about media in general. And, and I think in one on one hand, uh, there's there's never been a better time sort of power to the creators, because nowadays it's questionable whether you really need to be tied to a brand. Now, like in the early mm-hmm. days of hook shots, we're going back to 2007, 2008. Absolutely. That show had more credibility because it had the field and stream name behind it. No, yeah. no regrets whatsoever there. But all these years later, things have changed so much that you can be successful without having a big brand behind you. So, you know, I, I get so many questions from from young people, you know, wanting advice. And um, that is one thing to consider. If you if if you're a full timer, you don't own it, you know, yeah. so you, you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into what you do. And then if you want to change course or go somewhere else you you leave baby behind that's the choice you make you know no i love that's a great tip and i just had a a good buddy of mine greg uh we were just talking yesterday he's kind of getting into a little bit right he's talking about a website and all that yeah that's a good point is that you know a website is another thing that you own you can have it's like your home base where social media is definitely don't count on that for, you know what I mean? You've heard these stories about people, you know, starting businesses, million dollar business or whatever on social media. And then they're out because they change their algorithm, right? Instagram, yeah. whatever. So yeah, same thing. A podcast, you own it and it's really great because you can do whatever you want. And now we can follow you and, and your people. What's that look like? I, I want to go down this track just for a little because it's interesting to me. So you have obviously a following through field and stream all your years of doing this. How has that been like getting prepared for this, like trying to create a new audience or get some of your old audience? How's that been going for you? It's it's been great. And I'm 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 really excited to to start cut and retie because um, you know, really if you break down it's like what 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 am I really good at? Right. And I think the answer to that is building community around what I do. So um 
you know, I'm not the Guggen squad, man. I don't have millions of followers, uh, you know, but uh, my, my people have always been extremely loyal. And I believe like it's a good point you made about social media. Anybody who puts all their eggs in a social media basket is kind of foolish, but you do have to be there. And at its core, social media was designed to be social. So, you know, I, uh, I answer every message. I love hearing from people i like that that is what drives me i'm not a like a money driven guy right I, I i am driven by engagement and um you know one of the the things that sort of brought a tear to my eye like one of the things that that made me really know i was doing something right is that when i left field and stream and you know brought hook shots to a close we did a farewell podcast and you know and all that stuff within a few days uh, somebody started a, a Hookshots fan page. Hmm. And they asked me, they said, are you cool? And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, with a couple thousand people on it so they could just keep, so they had somewhere to hang out because my pages for, for Hookshots were, were a hub. Um, and I think Bent did a lot of the same with new audience. It certainly brought um, new audience to me. And because I, you know, fishing media, call it like it is these days it's very siloed you know i'm a fly only podcast i'm a saltwater only podcast mm. man i do everything so i i've always somehow managed to create these things that become hubs for just anglers it's never mattered what you're into there's always sort of something there for everybody and um that's that's what really drives me i don't care if ten thousand people like it or 10 million like yeah, I, I'm all in for you, no matter yeah. what the number is, because that's the fun part. You know, hanging out with fishy people is what's exactly. fun about this, you know? Yeah, no, I'm I'm coming for it. And I, I've always got these little sayings that have helped me go. Uh, you've been hitting on them, but one of them is the uh, the riches are in the niches, right? That's kind of a funny one. But, you know, it's good to start out niche down, really niche as, as far as you can go, you know, that you can kind of get something going. But then it's okay to build out, which is what we've been doing, right? We started out as a steelhead only focused fly fishing podcast, right? Mm -hmm. the, first, the first season was all steelhead fly fishing, but we've slowly been expanding because I didn't want to be stuck to just that, right? Just that thing. So I've expanded out and now we're kind of even growing out and doing some, even some hunting stuff, right? And I think sure. I just listen to our listeners and say, hey, what do you guys want to listen to? And then people tell me, and then, you know, I put that together. The, the other thing is like the true fans is there's this uh, old uh, blog post called a thousand true fans, Kevin Kelly. It's back, probably back to 07, whenever you were talking about getting started there. And, uh, and that's all he said. He said, literally, you could, if you had a thousand true fans, people that share your stuff, that will buy your stuff, that's all you need to, to yeah. have a business, right? And, so that's, and that's true. I, I, I've, I've heard that now. All of that said, I mean, it's not to say I'm not nervous, right? I've, it's so funny. I've never been out on my own before. Like I, you know, one of the benefits of working for organizations is that, you know, they have a marketing guy, they have a sales guy. You just make the stuff. We'll take yeah. care of all that. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you thrust that ball into your own court. But I, I really attribute my success with hook shots and, and bent, hopefully cut and retie with my time at field and stream, because even going back before the digital social craze where we are now, um, there weren't many magazines where you could write anything you wanted about fishing. You know, I started at Saltwater Sportsman. Well, obviously, given the title, that's somewhat limiting. Field and Stream, I could write about stripers. I could write about fly fishing for trout. I could mm -hmm. write about chunking for bow fins. So yeah. it was the perfect vehicle to be that all-around guy. And, um, you know, some of the greatest feedback I got, you do a fly-only streamer episode of, of the web series, and 
you know, you got all the catfish guys going. That was great. I'm like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's the whole point. We're all doing the same thing. At the end of the day, we're all doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. So why, like, why can't we all sit at the bar together and learn from each other for that matter? You know what I mean? I agree. I, and I think it's actually, you've probably seen this. I think it's changed a lot. I, I see it specifically in fly fishing where it was always the, you know, the old rich white guy. And mm-hmm. that's, that's changed a lot now. I mean, there's a lot, we just did an episode the other day of, of urban, um, you know, um, carp fishing in Arizona from, with a younger kid who just, you know what I mean? Like just basically moved out to Arizona out of nowhere and just ran into the fly shop. And right. it's just very diverse and more women are in it. And, and you know what I mean? So I think it's a much better. Did you see that with just fishing in, in general and what you did at Field and Stream? Did you see that transition? Uh, I, I certainly did. And, um, you know, it's funny because so I'm, I'm turning 40 this year and I, I, I certainly pay attention to to modern media and I see it a lot in Fly. And I think it's so healthy where fly has gone. I mean, there, there's so much good stuff out there. And you could definitely tell that that is drawing in that younger audience, um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot more than it, than it used to, to your point. But I also, I'm not, I'm not fooling myself. It's like when I was 25 and 26 year old, you know, 26 years old, I, um, I was talking to 25 and 26 year olds. Well, now, like my audience is squarely like 30 to 45. So, you know, that's why the 90s pop culture references that I pepper into everything work so well. So (laughs) I'm I'm really into where fishing media is going in terms of capturing that next generation. Can I swear that I'm their guy? I'm probably not. You know what I mean? And like there's always somebody who's going to come along and do it different. And that's that's what you want. I think the uplifting thing is that there are just people coming up to take up those positions. Whereas just going back to 2005, when I got my foot in the door at Saltwater Sportsman, you know, there were, there were no 22 year old kids at that time trying to get into the the fishing magazine industry full time, you know, and nowadays it's, it's totally different. So it's good to see the new blood. You know what I mean? It's, it's very uplifting. Today's episode is sponsored by Jackson Hole Fly Company. They've been designing and manufacturing high-quality fishing equipment since 1978 from their home base in Wyoming. They launched jhflyco.com in 2020 and started selling gear directly to anglers all over the country. I've got a couple of killer items. Uh, We've got the Yellowstone rod right now is in a giveaway. We're giving away one of those, and I've been using one of those as well. Super smooth and great. Uh, they got tons of flies, over a thousand fly patterns at the shop, and uh, pretty much all the gear you need to get started. They ship everything to your door, just like Amazon, but unlike Amazon, you'll be supporting a great shop in this podcast by uh, clicking over there and grabbing a few flies at Jackson. The last order I made with Jackson was super easy and seamless. You can head over to, uh, right now, you can head over to jhflyco.com swing. S-W-I-N-G to get 25% off your first order. And uh, and shipping is uh, free on all orders over $50. Check it out right now. Click over there and support this podcast in Jackson in one easy click. Okay, back to the show. Well, I want to touch on, you know, Field and Stream. We've mentioned that a few times here. Uh, I mean, that's probably, I, I just think, you know, there's a few out there of the biggest outdoor companies. That's one of them. Talk about Field and Stream. How does that, um, you know, how did, 
you know, when you look at Field Stream back in the day to now, um, you know, do you see a lot of changes in your time there? I mean, remind me again how, how long you were at Field and Stream. So I was at Field and Stream for 12 years and was the fishing editor for 10 of them. Oh, wow. And then even towards the end of that, because uh, Outdoor Life, which used to be their biggest competitor, they were pe- many people don't realize they were actually sister publications. We all wor- worked in the same office. Oh, wow. So yeah. I also pulled double duty as the uh, fishing editor of Outdoor Life for the last two years of that tenure there. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, <sighs> It's 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 almost it's a little hard for me to talk about where they were versus where they are now without sounding like a downer. But I mean, I also have to be honest. I mean, Field and yeah. Stream that was the holy grail. Yeah, they're, they're the biggest. You were there when I mean, they were the biggest thing out there. And, and I I grew up reading it as many people did, and never, never in my wildest dreams in the early days did I ever even think I'd I'd have a story in there let alone be the fishing editor of, of that book for, for 10 years. Um, and I, I, I would, this is a good time to, to add uh, that I'm writing for both field and stream and outdoor life. Again, uh, hmm. I, I, man, <laughs> tons, tons of articles monthly, almost 10 articles per month per brand. So I, I am still uh, wow. writing for them now. Um, so you can, you can find written stuff for me there all the time, but I, I would be, lying if I didn't say that it made me sad to see them both become digital only. I mean, like mm. they they still make uh, tremendous written content. I mean, some of the best writing, um, some of the best topics, and, and certainly the volume. Like there is always something new there. And I think that that is working well with sort of where media is going and they're they're successful with that. But again, I'd be lying if if I said like, oh no, this is better or this is this yeah. is great. You know, d- digital writing, uh, especially for younger writers and things, I, I see yeah. younger writers, you know, sharing a story they just had digitally on Field and Stream or on Meat Eater or wh- wherever it may be. And I know they're proud of that and they should be, but coming from where i came from man that that high will never be the same as getting uh you know that first copy of this month's field and stream after you know months of work on these features and this column and seeing it come together as a package i i'm i i don't want to you know hurt anybody's feelings but digital web writing is is not as sexy to me it's no. just not you and know? it doesn't so, feel the same yeah so i i am because of that uh, I am so honored and and so proud to have been there for that long when uh, when those titles were still in print because I got a, a piece of like this dream action that really doesn't exist you know in the same capacity anymore. Yeah, yeah, it is, and the print is just having that print magazine in your hands is so cool, right? I mean, that, that's there's, one big difference. There, there's nothing like it. So now that I'm I'm out and independent, I mean, I, I pick up, um, uh, you know, some freelance work when I can. And like, uh, I have a piece coming out for On the Water magazine, which is a, a regional. It's a very well done regional. And I'm very good friends with everybody on that staff. They're based out of Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, I, I have a piece coming out in there that, you know, it, it, it's not a big payout, right? These guys, I'm not the guy who's going to be like, well, I get $3,000 an article or no, no, I don't care about that. I, it makes no difference to me. 
It's just, I'm so excited because I'm going to still hold that in my hand. Like that means something to me. Like just the fact that it is printed on a page that's, but that's where I, that's where I came from. You know what I mean? And, um, got, got to be there, I guess, as you could say at the, 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 uh, the beginning of the end, the end of peak for that, for that scene, you know? Right. Nice. All right. Perfect. Well, um, like we said at the start, there's a bunch of different ways. I, I think the field and stream is an interesting piece because of what we just talked about here and uh, and the changes. And, and you've been in the middle of the big changes. I mean, what what does that look like to you, especially as you're starting this new media, this new podcast and where you're going here? How do you think, you know, I mean, this is probably a question you get a lot, but as you look out, do you see it just continue to evolve at the same kind of crazy rate? Well, I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? If we could all figure out what's next, uh, you know, but I, I think about that all the time. Like right now we all put so much stock in Instagram. Well, that might not be around in five years. It probably will be, mm-hmm. but but who knows, you yeah. know? But I think, I I, I really, I, I will say. Um, the meta seems to be one of the, because we're talking about Facebook, right? The, you know, the meta thing seems to be that it's kind of a weird thing because it's, we're in the outdoors, we're in the fishing, hunting stuff and now we're talking about these alternate i don't even know right reality universes where people are literally coming into this space i mean what's your take on that i guess that's one kind of random one well have you have you read uh ready player one by any chance no okay well they made a movie out of that too which i heard was not good uh you everybody should read the book ready player one because we are totally trending towards that where you just wake up every day and put like uh you know a mask on and just you do everything everything in right. like the, met- the metaverse and it's spooky to me because i can't help but wonder like is that that's that's like we're creeping closer to that but um yeah you know i i think the the one thing that has sort of not changed um in, in the last say 15 years or so is um emphasis on on personalities so like when mm. when giving when giving tips to 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 people trying to come into this um you know, I think nowadays it's almost like people have to like you first and then they will like your brand or they will, you know, buy your stuff or, you know, listen to you. But, you know, so writing is a piece of that. You know what I mean? Like being yeah, a good writer is a piece definitely. of that. But it's, it's very hard to just be a writer now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So you have to sort mm-hmm. of have this. But it, it there was a time, and I, I was there for it, when brand was everything. It's like, okay, you work for Field and Stream, therefore you are credible and people will listen to you. And now, and, and, and Meat Eater did a great job of this as an example. They, they wanted you personally to have as big a following as you could have because they understood that they flipped it around. It wasn't like, well, he's good because he works for Meat Eater. It's more like, He's good because he has his own following. And if people, you know, are into what he's doing, then they're probably going to come in and like Meat Eater. And, right. you know, so it's sort of like twisted around a little bit. Yeah. Um, that I don't see changing, you yeah. know, at least yeah. in, the, in, in, in the future. So what was the media? And I going back to the media is just kind of interesting. Um, I don't know any of the crew there. Or, you know, you're the I guess probably the only person I've talked to in that crew. But who, who's the who's the big uh, you know name behind the meat eater? Um, Steve Ranella. Yeah, yeah, Ranella. Yeah. So I mean, he is. I've heard you know I've heard some talk about him, his personality, and kind of controls a room. He's got these some of these skills. Is that were there a number of people? Is the meat eater most of the folks you were around? Were they a lot like Steve, where they can just kind of kind of run the show? They had those skills, or what? What was that like? The people you're around? 
No, I, I wouldn't say that. And uh, I mean, Steve is a smart dude, yeah. incredibly media savvy. Um, but I think it, it was it was a really cool mix of of just sort of fun loving creative people. But then you know, again, to like while I was making hook shots for all those years, because the company that owned Field and Stream that was not their business. Like they they were not in the video business. Um, and I don't mean this as a dig; it's just the truth. There was nobody to ask any questions. There was nobody to help me mm, with, with questions. Right. Then. So then to to go to Meat Eater and and work with their production team, you know, um, they were as professional as, as you could get. And you know, right out of the gate, it's, I had a I, I was on DOS boat, which I certainly didn't produce. They had you know, it was, it was a different experience to be out there with a full professional crew. But then I did two seasons of a show called B-Side Fishing for Meat Eater, which was mm-hmm. completely produced by me. And right out of the gate, I, I made this pilot and they're like, what did you cut this with? I'm like, iMovie. It's all I know. <laughs> and they were like, yep. no, that's no. You're getting a new computer and you are going to learn Premiere. And that's yep. how they roll. But because of that, I, I know the big boy editing software now. You know what I mean? I, yep. I was given yep. the opportunity to learn that. Um, so it was... Uh, you know, a lot of really smart, good people there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, we, we talked, um, you know, like we mentioned, the field training, a couple of things you've done, you've written some books out there. <clears throat> One of them is uh, a book that kind of goes, and I didn't even realize this at the time, but you've got a couple of, the, the Total Fishing Manual, which is one that um, went pretty you know, viral, I guess, you know, back, yeah. you know, in the day. And then you have the also the Total Fly Fishing Manual. Talk about uh, those two books, and you, know, you can pick one or the other, but just talk about how that idea came to be and what that process was like creating such, and then and then seeing the success of one of them. Well, that's actually a very funny story. Um, the way they came about was uh, Bonnier, which owned Field & Stream, bought Weldon Owen Publishing. So that publishing group came under the Bonnier umbrella. And it didn't take very long, uh, you know, for everybody to start working together. And and the publisher came to us and they're like, okay, we need some hunting and fishing books for Weldon Owen. So, uh, you know, my boss calls me in and he's like, you're going to have to write a fishing book. And I'm like, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to. And, um, you know, in the beginning, uh, kind of, you know, they were sort of spinning it as like, well, this is part of your job now. You have to. <laughs> and, and and my boss, Anthony Licata, was like, yeah, I'm going to bat for everybody. Like, if, if they want our team to do this, then you guys got to get royalties in an advance just like anybody else. It's not fair to ask you to write a book just, sure. you know, and sort of weave that into what you're doing. And the way that those books worked was... They would, I would say they are 40% magazine content. So you'd have to go through back issues to like 2005 or whatever the cutoff was. And it was my job to look through them all and pull what things could be repurposed and repackaged for this book. And then you had all these gaps that had to be written fresh. So the total fishing manual, I did sort of reluctantly, and then it dropped and it went crazy. I'm still pretty sure it's one of like the top five best-selling fishing books ever. Because I guess it was it was like a great add-on sale at Walmart. You know what I mean? It's in like Walmart <laughs> right. and Costco and sure. General Tire and all this stuff. And it was really, really successful. And it wasn't until after the fact that I sort of looked at the format. Um, it doesn't read, if anybody who hasn't seen it, it's, it's very visual. 
It's it mm. doesn't read cover to cover like a novel. It's sort of broken up into three sections: um, tackle, tactics, and I. It's been so long, I'd have to look yeah. at one. But um, it's it's loaded with pictures, and it's all these very short, digestible tips, and it it worked really, really well. So it was it was so successful that then, of course, Weldon Owens like, hey man, you need to do another one of these. And the second time around, I was really pumped because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in, I got it. And they wanted me to do bass fishing. And I'm not a huge, that just, that didn't excite me. I'm yeah. not that big of a, like small of a large mouth. mouth. Yeah. Well, small no mouth mouth. and large mouth. I love small yeah. mouth, but large mouth, it's like, man. Um, but uh, I was like, oh man, I just can't get excited about that. So I made this pitch. I said, look, anybody who is already bass fishing might've already bought this book. But if you're a fly only guy, while there was a little bit of fly in the total fishing manual, you know, fly guys want something that speaks to them. So I sold them on the total fly fishing manual and um, had even more fun putting that together. But it did not share even a fraction of the success of the total fishing manual, uh, I guess, because there was already just so much more fly literature out there that it didn't, right. didn't hit the same. Yeah. Because I joke about the add on sale at Walmart. But I mean, that's what that book was perfect for. That was on end caps of the oh, fishing yeah. section at Walmart and, you know, and, and all these sort of random places. And it was just so visual. I think it was like a, a stocking stuffer almost. You yeah. know what I mean? People would just grab that thing. And I think there's been like four or five more editions. They change one little thing and now it's so like edition 12. Still going yeah, as strong. far as I know. Yeah, it's still going. Yeah. You know, it is interesting. I've heard that some of those stats, I don't know, you know. Uh, how much of it is truth, but yeah, like there's more fly fishing uh, literature or written information out there than all of the other sports combined or something like that, right? Do, do you, I mean, I don't know even if, if that's truth, but why do you think fly fishing, because you're in Ben both versus say fishing in general or even hunting, you know, do you think there's truth in that? And then why do you think that is if that's, you know? That there's more fly fishing literature out there than anything else? Yeah. Is that, do you think that's, there's truth in that? Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say really, but I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised because even if you're just looking at the, the fishing section at, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble or, or Borders, RIP, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think just based on observation. Yeah. And I, and I also just think that there's so much more in fly fishing or fly fishermen in general, at least the old breed, maybe not, maybe not you young cats out there, but there was just so much more of that idea of, you know, sitting down in the winter and, and reading a good dry fly book or something like that, where the, I think the total fishing manual worked because it was, it was, it was this blanket book that talked to everybody, but it didn't force you to sit down and read chapter after chapter. And a lot of casual conventional fishermen, they, they don't, they don't want to do that. And they, you know I mean? It's just, it's just, yeah. I think literature and reading is, is just not part of their game the same way it is for fly guys. But even if you look at sort of, um, you know, storybooks, if you will. So yeah, there's plenty of tactical fly books out there, but most of the time when, you know, a novel comes out or, you know, something that's like autobiographical, there's a lot more just sort of, um, storytelling from the fly crowd then you right. you know you you see from the conventional world, but you know I I I put out the total fly fishing manual and I'm very proud of it. But then it hit me later. I'm like I can't compete with like Tom Rosenbauer. I mean that right. dude has like some of the best fly fishing books ever written, and fly guys yep. already bought them. 
So, you know, if you're starting a, a fly fishing anything, remember that's a very tough add-on sale to Walmart. It doesn't 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 work the <laughs> same right. as the fly, as the worm dunking book. So yeah, there's some good one. Well, the other one that comes to my mind, you know, we've uh, is John Girock, who we've had on the podcast. Sure, uh, yeah, and, and he's just yeah, he's one of the best storytellers. He's a fly fisherman. Yeah, and that's the kind of literature I'm talking about. Like John's stuff. Who is the conventional John Girock? There really right. isn't one. There isn't. You know what I mean? It just. What about the hunters? What, what about the hunter? Oh, you don't know that space probably quite as well. But is there? Is there? There must be something similar in hunting, but maybe not. Maybe I. I really. I really don't know. Um, yeah. I, I used to do a fair amount of hunting in my younger days, and I just have fully devoted myself to the fish side. I just always felt like I didn't really have time to do uh, both as passionately. So. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I know a fair amount about the hunt side. Not, I couldn't tell you who the, the yeah. John Garrick of hunting is. No, no, that's right. That's right. That's good. Uh, no, I, I love where we're going, you know, with this, Joe, because it's like we're kind of all over the place, but we're getting a good perspective on, you know, your life, right? And you've been in this for, for quite a while now and you're still in it. That's the thing, right? You're not, and you're actually going into this really cool phase of, like you said, I'm out on my own now. Yeah. And and it's a little scary, it sounds like, but you're just kind of doing it. I mean, what's the worst case scenario that happens here? Like, what's the worst and best? Did you think of that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 either the coolest phase or the dumbest. I mean, you know, we'll find out. But, um, you know, uh, what's the worst case scenario, really? I'm, you know, I, I can't say like, well, we'll default on our mortgage. We won't. Yep. I'm smarter than that. There was a lot more planning than, than right. that. But I mean, what's the worst case scenario? Uh, part of the reason why I think this is the right time to give it a shot uh, is because I'm not 50 years old yet. I'm only 40. So if this right. fails, I've, I've been around long enough that I would hope at least, yep. uh, you know, I could land somewhere full time again, you know, with within uh, fishing media. Although at the same time, it, it, it changes so rapidly that even looking for a full time gig in outdoor media in general you know, it's not that it's easy, not easy to find. It's not that easy to find, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's only so many of the uh, the meat eater, you know, the, those types of uh, groups out there, right? That are yeah. the... But but here here is another tip for, uh, for the hopefuls out there. Uh, if you want to strike it out on your own and really make a go with that, uh, your wife needs to be on board. That's so right. God, God bless mine because she is one of my biggest supporters. And even though she is certainly has her fears. I mean, I got, I got two little kids and, and, and mortgage payments and all that. Um, I could not have taken that leap if she wasn't behind me to the point where I get nervous and she's like, chill out, man, you got it. You've been doing this a long time, you know? That's so, awesome. um, you know, shout out to my wife, Kristen. Yeah, that, no, I love that. So that's a huge, huge thing for sure. Um, the, uh, the DOS boat I was kind of interested in because, yeah, I think, was it Tim Landwehr, right? You, you did an episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's my Tim. man, Tim. And yeah. T yeah. Tim and Tim is like, I mean, we did that episode with him and it was, I don't know, it's one of our biggest episodes ever and his just style. I mean, he, he looks like, we joke about it, right? He looks like the guy from, uh, the lion, you know, that crazy guy. What was Tiger King. Yeah. Tiger yeah. King. Right. Absolutely. King. He yeah. looks just like the Tiger King guy, but it was just such a hu huge episode because the story is really awesome of smallmouth bass being, you know, not there you know nobody was interested in it, and now it's like this bigger thing much bigger and he's just a, co a cool guy what was that when you went out there and did that because you caught some fish do you remember that pretty well when you did that ep episode i'll never forget it that was some of the the coolest smallmouth fishing I, i've ever done in my life um and you know i joked about not liking bass 
Large mouth, it's kind of like, I really got to be in the mood. Small mouth, I love dearly, but particularly moving water. So I live right mm. on the Delaware River. I've, I've been fishing moving water smallmouth my entire life. So to get a chance to, to go out there with Tim, that was some really eye-opening fishing. I mean, just the way that, that those fish set up and their size and, and the, uh, the lack of pressure. Um, and, and Tim was great. I've remained very good friends with Tim. Matter of fact, when Miles Nolte uh, left Meat Eater, therefore leaving Bent as well, I had this weird interim where I needed uh, guest co-hosts for entire episodes, and Tim was one of them. And he did a great job; like we had a really oh, nice. great time. But um, yeah, I mean that was that was a that was a great trip uh, to Wisconsin, and it really came together well. It was also an eye-opening trip for me in the sense that I had gone. That was the first time I was on camera for something Meat Eater related, and prior to oh, that. Wow. All I had known was hook shots where I had a camcorder and some GoPros. There was no camera guy. There was no sound guy. It was just me playing past the camera with whoever I was with. And that's what I was used to. So, you know, we drop onto this, this, this river with, uh, with Tim, and it's, it's just he and I in the drift boat. And, of course, like anything, the audience doesn't see the crew. They, it, looks, it just looks like you and your buddy Tim out there having a good time. So... Meanwhile, behind us, the entire float are three other drift boats loaded with camera guys, loaded with audio guys, and I have never filmed and fished with an audience like that before in my life. So, like, oh, we wow. kick off the we kick off the ramp, and Tim's like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna start right here. Like, there could be fish right here." And in my head, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is nerve wracking." Like, everybody goes silent, and they're just watching every cast hoping that a small mouth comes up and eats it so they get the slow-mo there's one guy on the popper every wow. single retrieve i'm like oh my god and uh, we ended up doing good and it calmed down we got what we needed and i remember uh one of the camera guys from buddies with paul bork that night he's like good job today man he's like uh, as soon as i saw you make your first cast i knew we were going to be okay you can cast i'm like nice you doubted me you jerk like i was i was like hurt i was like do you think i was gonna roll up here and like not be able to do this right but, um, it, it was yeah. it was a it was an interesting experience for sure wow yeah that's cool and, and that show i'm not even sure if i think it's still going right that was season two you guys did there uh so there were three seasons all together uh that was again miles nolte came up with that show sadly no that uh that that dos boat sort of ended i think with with miles and i uh gotcha. departing but um, I think there's some legacy there. People still talk about that show a lot. I thought the premise, which I, I can I can take no credit for, that was that was invented long before I got to uh, Meat Eater. Um, but then I actually hosted the entire last season in the Northeast. Oh wow! Who was that? Do you remember who invented that idea of the creating this boat, uh, picking up a used boat and building it up? Oh yeah, Miles Nolte, hundred percent. Oh, that was Miles. That was, that was yeah, his yeah. baby. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. And and what's and Miles, it sounds like he was, you know, still a friend of yours. Is he out there still doing some some stuff? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, a little spoiler alert, he's gonna have a hand in, in my new podcast. Oh, However, nice. um, not in a co-host role, uh, but because he now lives in New Zealand. So he and his family moved from Montana wow. to New Zealand. Um, but uh yeah, no, he he he's doing great and uh we are we are still working together and he's also doing a little bit of work with uh Squala. So Squala. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like in, you know, over the time, obviously you're going to run into some people that influenced you and helped you. Do you look back and just say, Hey, I, I was lucky I had, you know, all these mentors along the way, or what's that look like when you kind of think of your, your past influences? 
A hundred percent. And, you know, people ask all the time, like, well, how, how do I get to where you were? How, how does this work? And it's funny because I, I grew up playing in bands, right? And oh, wow. nice. the, the fun part of, of uh, you know, the playing in a band, it wasn't the music, it was the whole package. It was making the shirts, making the flyers, trying to book gigs, trying to record demos. I loved the, the entirety of it. And the similarities between sort of making it in a band and making it in, in fishing media, uh, it's, it's, it's like, it's uncanny. And oh, wow. it, it, it was a lot <laughs> of foots in the right doors with the right people at the right time. And, um, you know, the, 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 from the very, and I won't, I won't rattle all of them off, yeah. but you know, I started with a local magazine called New Jersey Angler. I reached out, they wanted nothing to do with me because they didn't understand how internships worked or what I wanted. And it was a, you know, a professor at, uh, at the school I went to who finally called. And, you know, so then he explained it and those guys gave me a shot and I started there. And then um, a guy by the name of Jerry Betchy, who's a, a veteran in outdoor writing, he ended up with my portfolio. And then he brought me into Saltwater Sportsman when David Benedetto, who wrote the book On the Run, which is one of my favorite books, was the editor in chief. I mean, those guys really reared me they threw me into the fire it wasn't like oh okay new guy sweep the floor it was like no we're giving you this section in the magazine don't blow it and it was like nice. oh damn um and i i, I joke about the, the first feature i ever had uh in saltwater sportsman right out of college i mean i was i could not have been more green they said um here's what want you to do uh fly down to miami and then uh fish from key largo to key west by yourself and you can't spend more than 150 bucks a day to eat, sleep, or fish. Now, I have never been to the Keys in my life. I know nothing about the Florida Keys. And I was super nervous, you know, flying down there with, you know, every kind of rod known to man because I couldn't hire guides, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And, you know, you come to find out later they had a good laugh because budgets were so much better then. Print was still raging and there was sort of play money that they did the math and they gave me the budget and they're like well if he totally blows it it's not like breaking us like so what mm. so we eat a couple grand like not a yeah. big deal um yeah but i didn't i didn't blow it the story came out great and i think the the nowadays again getting back to the way it worked in the print world versus now digital where everything is kind of more about you know volume than anything else more stories more stories more stories it'd be very rare, uh, if not impossible for a young person to even be given an opportunity like that. Again, time is, mm. time is money. You know what I mean? Nobody has any throwaway money. Every dollar has to go towards something. But I came into that era when they could say, well, if this kid blows it and comes back with nothing, ah, eh, we gave him a shot. Yeah. You know? So wow. there were so many people along the way that I consider mentors, you know, right yeah. from the start. That is kind of cool. It's kind of different because it's like back in the day or when you started, there was that opportunity but now there's also opportunity that's just different for young folks. Like you're saying, you can start your own thing. And, and totally. Start, yeah, start your own social media thing and, and be going. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, look, it, is it harder to stand out? Is it harder to break through? Absolutely. It's not certainly not a guarantee. But, you know, whereas people back in the day were always trying to figure out how I get in with this brand, um, you know, if you're smart, that you, you can be self-made now. You know, you, you yeah. can, you can do it. So, you know, people with writing especially are like, well, how do I get in with, I'm like, well, that, 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 that might come later, but in the meantime, like you better be writing every day. You better be writing a blog yeah, every day. Even right. if nobody, even if nobody reads it, you know, that's you right. can't, you can't wait around for somebody to give you money or bring you on. If you're passionate about this, you just do it because you love it. 
and you don't know what that blog will lead to later. That's your portfolio, you know? So Exactly. No, I, and these are all great points and good reminders. I love this because there are a lot of people that listen to this, you know, some of our crew that is interested in doing some of this, but that's, that's John Lee Dum, uh, Dumas was a guy, was a podcaster, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And, uh, and that's what he always used to say. He'd be like, okay, you want to be a podcaster? You want to be successful? Do the reps. Just yeah. start doing it. You're going to suck at the start. You're going to be terrible. But over time, it's that body of work that creates, right? And then you look back yeah. at, and then it's five years later and like, wow, okay, I did suck then, but now I've, I've done something, right? Yeah, uh, dude. I, and I've turned out every week. I've been here every week producing well, content. And, and, and there you go. Like, what is the number one thing? I don't care if it's a video series, if it's a blog, if it's a, a podcast, people are like, what's the secret? And I say, it's consistency. Yeah. If you tell somebody you're going to get a new show every Friday, don't miss because once you miss one, it's like, oh, sorry, no show this week. And you, you trail off, you're not going to make it. And consistency almost in a way, like you were just saying, beats quality. So like right. some of those shows can be dogs, man. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, like I'm not kidding myself with, with the new show. Like some are going to be better. Like that's just, you don't know how your guest is going to talk. Some are going to be amazing. Some are going to be less so. But what matters is when I tell you there's going to be one every single Friday, there's going to be one there. That yep. is how you win. If you trail off or you're always waiting for like this killer guest, you're going to fail because yep. people want repetition. That's what matters. Today's episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, who puts together these great Alaskan wilderness trips for this trip of a lifetime. Uh, this is not a lodge-style trip. This is not driving in the car. These are remote backcountry float trips where you're going to be chasing monster rainbows, uh, likely some salmon, uh, char. There's a, a Dolly Varden. There are grayling, if you haven't caught a grayling, uh, just all sorts of fish, and they're all super aggressive, and, uh, and you get it all in one shot. We've had a number of guests who've noted uh, that life is short and you can't wait. You never know what's going to happen. So if you've been thinking about Alaska, this is the trip for you. you got to check it out. Uh, Adam has been on a couple of times now. He shared some of his passion, his story about how he had been wanting to put together this, uh, you know, essentially this outfitter uh, package in this business for quite a while. And he's done it now and he's knocked it out of the park. Uh, we had a great time on our last trip with him and uh, and I'm hoping to get out there again next year. If you want to check out Adam and support this podcast and Fishhound, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash fishhound right now. Find out what they have going, what they have available for this next season. That's Fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D. Okay, back to the show. I, I want to touch on just the quick, the saltwater stuff is interesting because that is a big, you know, it's becoming even bigger and, and there's just so many species. What is the one, you know, there's always a species that comes up that's kind of the one, but if you had to say this is the species, I can only fish for this one saltwater fish, what, what is it for you? Striped bass, 100%. Oh, wow. Striped bass. So not tarpon. No, man. I've caught very few tarpon uh, in my, I mean, I've caught them, but um yeah, I mean, again, considering where I live, uh, you know, oh, right. I'm, yeah, I'm in right Bucks there. County, PA, right across the river from Jersey. I grew up in Jersey, so I grew up salty, man. The beach yeah. is, is less than less than an hour away. Um, in fact, the, the fall run with false albacore and stripers is, is raging right now. Um, 
Yeah, but that's just the hometown favorite. That's the home. That's your home water. Now, I love, I love tarpon. Uh, and it's it's funny because I have a replica of like an eight footer hanging in my home office here, which my wife hates. Like it is like she's <laughs> like that belongs in a seafood restaurant, not here. And it weighed 200 pounds. I caught it in Costa Rica, uh, not on yeah. fly, but still. Um, yeah. and, and as soon as I was done, I was like, you know what? Don't ever need to do that again. Give me no. give me 30 to 60 pounders on a fly rod right. any day. So, I mean, yeah, they're they're badass fish, but um, yeah, stripers is like in the blood, you know? Yeah, it's the stripers. Yeah, and we've done a few, some striper stuff, and it, yeah, it sounds, sounds amazing. Nice. Well, we're, we're kind of, you know, I've just, we've kind of been uh, picking off, you know, your career here a little bit. What, what have we missed? Have we missed anything along the way? Have we kind of t- touched on most of the stuff that's kind of influenced and, and created what you've, you know, basically created your, your media over the years? Yeah, no, I think we, I think we've kind of, we've kind of covered it all. Um, and, and again, I just would, would stress that I, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, as maybe it sounds petty to some people, I'm really excited to have the control with this next chapter. You know, I think that's, that's the, the most exciting aspect of it. Um, because you often find that you have so many ideas that you just can't get to light for one reason or another. So, um, I am just, I wake up every day jotting notes and brimming with, little things, big things that, you know, will, will come after this podcast launches and cut and retie sort of, you know, reestablishes, you know, so I am uh, nervous, but I am more excited than nervous about this next chapter. Gotcha. And is on the the new podcast, is it going to be a mix between, you may have said this, but a mix between like interview and just kind of solo shows? Uh, I don't anticipate doing anything completely solo. I do like to have a guest. Um, So, no, the, no, I don't think there's going to be anything solo. I, I, I don't have a co-host. I'm going lone wolf, uh, you know, in that regard. But um, yeah, no, there will always be somebody. Now, I, I, I've even I've gone all in, man. I, <laughs> I've built out an entire studio like outside of my house as a hang. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, so we're calling it the bunker, the cut and retie bunker. Nice. So are people coming? Are people going to be coming to your studio to do the podcast in person? As much as I can get a butt in a seat, that is the preference. I also know the limitations of that. Um, you know, like, you know, mad respect for Meat Eater. They have the budget to be like, hey, we want you. We'll fly you out. We'll put you in this hotel. Yeah, I can't do that. I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. But uh, as, as often as I can get somebody in a seat, yes, there will certainly, you know, be remote stuff. You, you can't avoid it now. But I think, you know, one thing I'm, I'm also cognizant of is um, I see, you know, podcasts sometimes feel this need to get like sort of the most famous person they can at all times, which is cool. You got to do that. And I certainly intend to do that. But I also believe that uh, if you got some local yokels who are your boys and the conversation is good, you know, so one week we might have, I don't know, Mike Iconelli, just throw out a name. I love, I love Mike. I've known Mike, you know, a while. Uh, The next week might just be like whichever one of my fishy dudes is around and we'll drink some beers and have a good time. So I certainly want to utilize the space and have, have people in person as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that same thing to be true is that, yeah, you don't know who we, we actually had a kind of a fun episode. We had a, uh, Henry Winkler on. Uh, oh, he, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. And he's a big, he's a big fly fisherman. And, you know, and you think like, gosh, Henry Winkler, he's, to me, he's like the huge, right? But yeah. it wasn't like that episode had this massive impact, right? It was just a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. Um, but we've had other episodes that have really resonated more with people, right? Probably sure. Because, yeah. That sort of thing. And, and the lesson there, we, we sort of already touched on it, but Again, I think that goes back to, you know, people start podcasts, 
they're striving to blow your mind with who they're having on all the time. When the reality is like, I think even to a degree, if you look at like a Joe Rogan, people are there yeah. because they like or dislike Rogan first, right? He has these amazing guests, but it's, yeah. it's like the Howard Stern model. Howard Stern had amazing guests on. Nobody cared about the guests. They were listening for Howard. So they have to, yeah. they, people have to want to be there to listen to you before your guests. They have to like you first. I, and I agree. I think to a certain extent, I think the one thing I know with mine, like Rogan, and especially like even the, the today, you know, before I was kind of, I always have podcasts. I'm kind of a podcasting addict myself, but, you know, Smartless is a podcast that I, I like. and But mm -hmm. I only listen to, like this morning, it was Kevin Bacon, right? I know right. nothing about other than Kevin Bacon is the, you know, Kevin Bacon. I listened to it because it was Kevin Bacon, right? Even though, but those hosts are also all pretty uh, amazing in their own right, right sort right. of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah. nice. Well, I've got a few things to take us out of here, and uh, this is won't take too long, but these are some of them are a little bit random. But um, one is your tech. You know, just as you get in a new podcast, you've talked about this with the Meat Eater. But with your new podcast, you've got this studio. Walk us down through that a little bit. Like, how does the tech, so if somebody's listening, they want to know how to put this together. Is, is there a lot going on with how you record and do all that stuff? And how does it look kind of in person versus uh, remotely? Yeah. So um, coming from Meat Eater that like has the most professional equipment money can buy. Right. Uh, I couldn't quite do that. So I would I would put myself in like the medium pro range. So and and what was that? And talk about the sorry, sorry, Joe, just talk about that. The um, the media really quick. I'm just curious because I know there is a lot of tech, but at the end of the day, you could record this thing with a microphone and be pretty basic. But yeah, what was some of the, the tech there? Well, yeah, and that's what I did because I was always remote. But I mean, you know, hanging out in the actual podcast studio. I mean, other than uh, what is it, the um, SMR, the Shure, what is the yeah, mic? Yeah, the Shure. Uh, M okay. no, yeah, the the, the yeah. one Michael Jackson used in Thrill right. or whatever. Right. So, so yeah. I, I know I know that's like the gold standard. Um, but you know, if, when you're putting your own podcast together, you got you got to think about your budget. I knew what mine yeah. was. It wasn't huge. It wasn't minuscule, but it wasn't huge. Um, like they're bored and, and on all that. I, I couldn't tell you what, I don't know the specifics sure. of that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I recorded bent for a year and a half with the, uh, road, uh, procaster, Mike, yeah. which got yeah, recommended yeah. to me by the guys at meat eater. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lesson here too, in that people get nuts about this stuff. And I, I maintain that as long as it doesn't sound like total trash, if you're engaged, if you're engaging, yeah. You got them. I never had a single person once ever in my career write in and be like, your podcast sounds like crap. No. You know, and the Hookshots one did. I didn't know what I was doing then. That was totally off the cuff, right? Yeah. But uh, again, so um, you know, that, was in, that was in my range. So I got myself four new Rode Procasters, you know, yep. set up a table with the booms. So you got your Rodecaster Pro. You got that's your board is the Rodecaster Pro. And that is my board. And that became, that, that was recommended to me by my, my new editor, Mike Peterson, who's a, a great dude, very smart. Yeah. And uh, I'm pleased with it. And really for anybody getting into this, that's not $20,000 worth of equipment. Like no. it's, it, it's, it's not, bucks. yeah, it's not yeah. cheap, but it's not outrageous. And so far I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. I love it. I, love, I think that's, again, one of these things that's amazing. And you see it even with COVID, it really it threw this out there where you had these, the news like the famous news people like we're at home doing yeah. stuff right so it was yeah. kind of now it's like people are just really used to it they were already but now yeah as long like you said as long as your audio isn't um distracting 
you know, it's, right. it's going to be good to go. And that, I will say the, the Shure MV7 is another one by Shure that's a great microphone that doesn't cost the whatever the, the other one, the yeah. thousand bucks. And it's still great. In fact, you can get a microphone for under a hundred dollars that pretty, you know, is pretty much a studio mic. So it's, it's pretty, these days it's awesome. Well, working with, with true audio files at Mediator was funny because the first mic I ever bought was like that Audio Technica, oh, yeah. you know, USB yep. mic. Yep. And I like did all this research for the Hookshots podcast and like thought I really figured my stuff out and nobody ever complained. But then when I started doing Bent, occasionally I would need to record somebody else. I needed a backup mic. So that's what I would use. And even though it sounded okay to me, one of the editors was like, dude, did you record that guy on a potato? I'm like, come on, man. Like, it wasn't that bad. So, you know, people people get nuts about that stuff. Um, and I will also say one thing I, I have learned uh, having that, that road board, you can run your computer into it. So if you are recording somebody digitally, whether that be through Squadcast or Zoom or whatever, you have so much more control over their levels and things, I think you can make the remote stuff sound a little bit better. And then it's also a double backup because how many times do, you, do your squad casts and Riversides and Zooms cut out or whatever? Yeah. So you have that file plus on your board, man, backup, double backups, everything. Yep. Everything. That's right. You know? That's right. I always have backups. Yeah, that, that's the worst case when you get done with an episode and you look down and you forgot to press record. Did that? Has that ever happened to you over the years? Oh, Dave, you you name the ridiculousness. <laughs> it has happened to me. You know what I yeah. mean? Like burning out drives after a shoot and losing everything, oh, not pushing man. record. Like, yeah, I all of it. You've done it all. I, I jump on podcasts now and like, you know these dudes will be having like technical difficulties or somebody's muted and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, why yeah. you think that you think this stuff doesn't happen to me? Like, yep. you know, yeah. It, it, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Nice. Well, well let's take, we're going to, uh, like I said, a couple of random ones here. So the podcasting thing for me, I've got tons of podcasts in my queue. I'm not sure if you're a big, are you a big podcast listener? Um, you know, to be honest, I, I'm not really. And I get into them, on the, the occasion that I'm like on a long car drive or something right now, yeah. for me, it's, it's, I want to be, it's just where I am in life right now with a four and seven year time. old and being, yeah. I don't, I am amazed, you know, that people have the time because I also, when I'm working on something, I can't like listen to music or, or listen to a podcast while I'm, you know, writing something. Oh, so right. It's yeah. just a matter of of the time to listen to them. So I, I don't consume that many of them. No. Yeah, that's right. And if, do you have a? Is there any in your queue? Like, do you have one that you maybe a, a recent episode or podcast you've listened to? Just to give us a heads up of your, you know, take a look at your your podcast app. Mm. Like I always go to the, uh, you know, instead of saying this comes from Dave Jackson, he's a podcaster, but. You know, instead of saying your top, you know, your favorite podcast, just say what were the last, you know, few podcasts you listened to? Well, the last ones I, I listened to, um, because he's a very good friend of mine. And it's funny because I just talked about how I'm not in the hunting, but I, I believe in supporting good people is the Woodside podcast with Ben O'Brien, who was also at Meat Eater. He had the Hunting Collective podcast there. And uh, I got to give him a shout out, too, because he's basically doing what I'm doing with Cut and Retie but got out ahead. So as I'm doing this, I'm like, Hey, and I've, I've had all these different questions and, uh, you know, I'm taking some cues from his style and, and listening to what he's doing because I, I really, I really respect what he's doing. So if you are into hunting, uh, highly recommend the Woodside podcast. Nice. I, I just listened to one, uh, about grizzly bear defense. 
on my way to the Jersey Shore the other day that like, yeah, it'll, that, that'll grab you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the most recent one. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and everything else we chatted about today. We'll have a, a good post over there uh, with, with kind of some of the resources. Um, well, give us one more as we take it out of here. We, we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of different things with your career, but conservation is something that comes up quite a bit. Uh, we talk about it's always a focus for a lot, especially a lot of companies in the fly fishing. I'm not sure if you heard about Patagonia. They're not necessarily a fly fishing only company, but, you know, the the founder there, Yvonne, made this crazy, uh, amazing, right, change in the company about where the profits go. But is there a conservation issue when you look back either currently over time you think is something, you know, you covered or is still something people should be focusing on? Well, you know, I've covered uh, quite a bit of conservation angles. Uh with with the bent podcast and with writing and um you know from my perspective i try to be very cognizant of what's going on out there overall but i'd be lying if i didn't say i'm i'm most involved in what's happening local and i think that's normal for a lot of people you know uh you you sort of you read the notes and, and keep yourself up on on things happening elsewhere uh, but again, because I'm such a striper guy, um, you know, sort of the plight of the striped bass is the most near and dear to my heart. I'm the most well read on that because it's it's a fishery that draws a lot of money on the eastern seaboard. Uh, it's what I grew up doing. It's something I chase most often. And, you know, you got to go back in time when I was a kid growing up in the late 80s and and throughout the 90s. Catching a striped bass, a keeper striped bass was like mythic. I mean, they were in just the, they were just gone. They, 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 it was, I remember being a little yeah. kid down at the beach and you'd, you'd be driving around in October and you'd see these boats out in the inlet and it was like, oh my God, those guys are out there striper fishing. Someday I want to do that. Someday maybe I'll catch a striper. It's my dream. And I was there at the perfect time because I was in high school and college when you, you watched it go from zero to 60 where oh, all of a sudden the stripers just came back in full force and I got to live that peak. And um, you see that sort of dropping off again. It, it, is yeah, not, well, it is not what it was 10 years ago, you know. And what is that that's going on that went on the first time to make the change? Do you, do you kind of, do we know what's going on there? Well, I think, I think um, you know, the, it's, it's a hard thing to pinpoint on, on, on what this new decline is because mm. – you have to look at where they spawn in which states and this is also a fish that that moves so much that it's like mm, what happens in virginia in the winter where there's still some commercial fishing or maryland or whatever affects what the guys in cape cod are going to see in july so it's all interwoven um yeah you know i, I was yep. just out striper fishing uh you know the, the day before we recorded this and, you know, you're looking at a coastline where the, the bunker, the Manhattan, are so thick you could walk across them. And, uh, you know, <laughs> everybody is catching bass and they're all 35 pounds or better. Jeez. But what happens is you get these snapshots of that. You know, you might see that in a, in a given piece of coastline where I live for a few days and then it's a dead zone for a while. So you still get these glimpses, these windows of this amazing action, and people point the finger at all kinds of things. Part of the rebound 
of the fish was definitely a cracking down on the Menhaden fisheries, commercial fisheries, because they would oh, just right. come in with vacuum boats and suck them up for omega-3. Well, I mean, yeah. that's such a key forage. I mean, that, that's such an oil protein rich bait fish, you know, and, and now there are still some, uh, you know, commercial fishing issues guys would like to see go away. Um, I also think that you can't, you can't discredit the idea of environmental change. You know, I've, I've said this before and it's like beating a dead horse, but it's true. You know, you read the classic striper books. Well, they summer in Maine and they follow the coast down and in the fall they're in New York. Okay. Yeah. That's what they did. It's what they used to do when things were right, but they don't read the book. So, I mean, there's been tagging evidence where, where stripers have been radio tagged and they end up summering 80 miles offshore in the tuna canyons. You know, or you you have guys that go out in November and December, they're out tuna fishing 30 miles offshore, and it's just wave after wave of giant stripers. So, yeah, yeah that fish by the book is supposed to be in the surf right now, real close to the beach. But if the food's out there or the temperature, you know, so yeah, I'm not really giving you an answer here. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think anybody sense. can put their finger on exactly what it is, but it is noticeable. It, it is yeah. it is noticeable. Um, you yeah. know, you really cherish the good days because the idea of, you know, used to be, well, from about Halloween to Christmas, you'll find them somewhere. Mm, yeah. You know, not anymore. So, yeah, no, it's and part of it is probably a little bit of everything. And, you know, here I'm I'm out west and the steelhead numbers, you know, obviously fluctuate like everything. But we had a guest on recently that talked about. You know, there's this doom and gloom right now about it. Like, oh man, you know, the steelhead are disappearing; they're gone forever. And the, but I had this guest that went on. He talked about the numbers up in the Skeena, specifically up in BC, right? And how back in say '97 was the worst run in history back in that day, and then '98 was like one of the biggest runs the next year. So, trying to look—it's hard because then you have climate change. You factor in there, and nobody nobody quite knows what's going on there. But I, I don't know. I think you kind of. There's natural fluctuations, and I think that's part of the deal, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in any given fishery, and you know, you you bring up steelhead. Uh, we we covered that a fair amount on, on Bent. Miles took the the reins on that a little more than I did because he's from the West too. He's a little bit more versed in it. But like your steelhead are our stripers. I see so many similarities mm. in, in the conversations that happen there. But um, you know, it's tough with conservation sometimes because it's in a way it's sort of like politics where. I, I shy away from from going on deep dives into the things that I'm not really familiar with because you're reading, you know, this perspective from this organization or these results from this study. Yeah. And without having a complete picture of every side, you know, you piss people off doing that. You get in yeah. trouble because they're like, well, but the, what? A, so, you know, but I, right. I see a lot of similarities there. And with any downturn in fisheries, you'll have the guys who will just tell you, well, it's it's. It's purely cyclical. I don't think anything is purely cyclical right now because there's too many other factors. But that also could be an element. There's, you know what I mean? Like, there's mm -hmm. nothing to say that things can't flip around unexpectedly. Um, yeah. So you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very hard, it's a very hard it thing is. to really drill down on. It's got, it's kind of weird. I think just the day and age we're in, you know, the politics. It's very you know, political, right? Even conservation issues that have become very political. And I think, I guess that's just the time we're in. And maybe it's always been like that. I don't know. Well, that and, and everybody wants an answer right now. And I, I see, I see what happens, you know, with the striper scene in particular. And, and I've, I've certainly experienced it. Places that I grew up surf fishing, you know, when, 
way before I had a boat, way before I was in the industry. I mean, I, you know, the amount of college classes I skipped because I <laughs> fished all night, you know, um, nice. and it's like, well, we used to go to Allen Hurst jetty and catch 20. Now we don't catch anything there. Well, okay. But just because you're not catching them where you did five years ago, doesn't necessarily mean it's because like there aren't any anymore things change no. and they might not just show up there anymore. So there's also that element of, of just because they're not where you want them to be or where you had them for six years in a row. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean it's because the numbers are devastatingly low, you know, and that's, that's right. that speaks to like the offshore run. Those fish follow bait off the tip of Montauk. They pass New Jersey on the outside where you, where you can't legally fish for them. You know, these things happen. Yeah, I love that. No, it reminds me just as we take it out of my dad was a, uh, it's funny because we were, you know, we elk hunted and deer hunted and we had a place that back in the elk hunting days, I mean, man, we were getting, there was elk everywhere. We were just, it was great, but then it slowly dissipated. Eventually it got to the point where we didn't see any elk right? and, and, and we were all, but we had elk camp. So we'd go back and, you know, and my dad always complained, you know, it was like, oh, this and that, but really, I mean, it could be just as simple as you're talking. I mean, the animals moved and they go to a different area and it's not necessarily like the collapse of the population right. or some, you know, somebody screwed up. And the funny thing is, is now where we deer hunt, we've never seen elk. And now like this year we saw two herds of elk out in a place where we never saw elk for like 30 there years. You go. Right. So, so that's probably it's, make it's it up. Nat for it. It's nature, man. There's no rules, <laughs> you know? Awesome. Awesome, Joe. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I think uh, we'll send everybody out to, um, I guess, the cut and retie, right? That's that's your big uh, thing you got coming here, the next uh, focus here. Yeah, and that will be on uh, and any any platform you want it to be on. Like, There's always that random dude that's like, is it on this one? I'm like, oh, God, yeah. you're like the only person that listens to it there, but okay. But no, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, so, so cut and retie, uh, all the behind the scenes stuff tied to that show will be on my, uh, my Instagram account. And what's your Instagram? Give a shout out. Uh, your, uh, uh, your that's, that's Joe Cermelli, C-E-R-M-E-L-E 138. 138. And on your podcast, who are you hosting that with? Are you, do you have, are you now back to doing all the stuff or do you have people doing like editing and everything? Oh, 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 no, no, no. I very much have an editor. Like, I'm like, I, I, no matter how much You're it costs not going me, back I, 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 I'm not, no, <laughs> I, I love cutting video. It's very visual, very creative. I will always enjoy cutting video. I did two years of cutting the, the wavy lines myself, not super into it. So, uh, after working with such a tremendous editor, Phil Taylor at Meat Eater for two years, uh, I saw the light yeah. And I'm like, we are making that happen. And and uh, Mike Peterson is uh, my new editor and he is terrific. We're, we're working together really well. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a, an engineer, but so far I'm, I've not screwed up on pushing record. So yeah. I'm, it's, it's going right. well. You're good to go. Going well. You're good to go. Yeah. Awesome, Joe. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for the chat here. This has been a lot of fun getting the background and, uh, you know, just getting a little, getting to know what you've done. I mean, I think it's probably a lot of people here prior are getting some inspiration to realize, you know, and then also I love the fact that, like we said, you're, you're jumping into this new venture at a kind of, you know, not quite middle age, right? Are you, do you consider yourself, are you kind of, this is the middle age crisis time or not quite yet? Yeah, I'm middle-aged. I'm I'm over. You're middle-aged, yeah. that's right. I've been saying I'm 40 since I was 35. As soon as I turn 35, <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm 40, you know. Yeah, you're, you're middle-aged. Awesome. Yeah. But to, to that point, and, you know, I, I am very approachable. I, I love hearing from people. Uh, it might take me a little time sometimes, but I will answer you. So anybody out there with any questions about anything for that matter, um, don't be shy. You know, I, I love hearing from you guys. Awesome. All right, thanks a lot, Joe. Looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Appreciate it, Dave. This was a good time, man. So there it is, wetflyswing.com slash 378. If you want to check out what we have going there, we've always got a few uh, 
few bonus uh, few bonus videos and hopefully on this one there's going to be some good ones with Joe I think that episode of DOS Boat with uh, Tim Landwehr um, would be a good one to have in there to check out I want to remind you before we get out of here we are launching we've already launched a the fly fishing school program that we have going and this program is pretty cool we're actually uh, hooking up with guests we've had on this podcast some pretty big names some people you've heard and we are putting together trips where we're connecting them with you and we're doing some big uh some big promos there so if you want to get out on the water with me and do some fishing and connect with some of these guests and learn learn from the best check out our school program i'll have more coming up on this as we go but the best way right now you can send me an email dave at wetflyswing.com and let me know if you have any topics or guests that uh, we've had on the show that you'd like to get out fishing with um, that would be amazing to hear from you i want to give a quick uh, listener shout out um, logjam productions on instagram cam was our videographer on uh, the alaska trip and uh and he's connected with the fish hound crew so cam just want to give you a shout out here and recognize your efforts uh definitely appreciate what you uh what you're doing out there and all the hard work i know winter's coming and you're locking down things getting getting ready for the cold so um definitely have a good time this winter but looking forward to keeping in touch with you and if you get a chance uh you want to check out cam's work head over to log jam productions on instagram all right, we're going to bust out here and get on to the next one. we got a big week coming up. Um, trying to set some of these weeks. The next one is going to be a monster week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, if you get a chance, you can check with me, like I said, anytime in, on uh, social media, Wet Fly Swing. And I would love to connect with you on one of these trips. we got these schools coming. If you want to get on the water, I would love to see you on the water. Um, and, uh, and that would be amazing. All right, it is getting late, so I'm right now hoping if you're listening in the evening, I want to say I hope you have a great evening tonight, and I hope you have a greater morning if you're listening in the morning, and if it's afternoon, I hope you have a great afternoon and day. Looking forward to keeping in touch with you, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.